I really like that song. It's uh, always more comfortable just to sing the ones you know, but boy, some songs are worth learning, aren't they? Really good song. So uh, I know one of the great fears in our modern uh, world is biological warfare. You know, millions of dollars have been made in Hollywood if they created movies and TV shows, you know, uh, depicting the fallout and the devastation that, that could occur if some potent virus, uh, bacteria, germ, you know, got on the loose. But you know what? It's really not just a modern threat. One of the earliest recorded instances of biological warfare took place in the year 1347. A Mongol horde was besieging the Genoese trading post of Kaffa in the region of Crimea, which modern-day Ukraine. And the defenders had built up large, strong walls, which the Mongols just could not easily breach. And so the attackers decided on a different method. They built catapults, and then they shot the dead bodies of bubonic plague victims over the walls into the town. As soon as the residents uh, figured out what was happening, they, of course, fled the place in fear and terror and headed towards Italy and Europe. Unfortunately, they had already been infected and they were carrying the disease with them. And so that deadly bacteria quickly spread throughout Italy and the rest of Europe became known as the Black Death. And over the next three years, it raged as this massive epidemic and an estimated 20 million people died, which was nearly half the population of Europe. So, I mean, can, can you imagine that? Uh, how scary would that be if you're walking around and, and you think, you know, like every other person one, three, five, every other person you meet is going to die. They're, 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 they're going to be gone. And how scary if be for you knowing that you could catch something from any of them and gone as well. So I, I want to change the, the scenario just a little bit. What if, what if you had a cure how would that change things? You'd taken it, so now you were immune. How would that change how you interacted with people, your, your thought about them, your responsibility to them? What would it be like then? So as Christians, of course, we know that there's a plague out there that's worse than the Black Death. It has a 100% death rate. And it's known as sin. So how does that impact the way we live? Let's grab our Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Follow along as I read just a, a few verses this morning, 16 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, starting <clears throat> at verse 16, says this, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. 
Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Father God, we thank you so much for uh, just the opportunity to lift you up in praise this morning, to join our voices together to glorify you because you are an awesome God. And Father, we pray now as we look into this time of preaching that you would be our teacher. You would speak through us, through me, uh, in, in, to each of us. Encourage our hearts. Strengthen us. Challenge us. Build us up according to your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this paragraph begins with the word therefore, meaning, of course, that it's going to tie it back into the previous thought and what was done there. We looked at verses 14 and 15 last Sunday, or a bigger section than that, but it ties back into those final verses. And those verses were talking about the radical way that it changes us when we get saved. We no longer live for self but rather for Jesus Christ. That's what verse 15 made clear when it said, and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. But exactly what does that mean practically for us, especially in terms of our relationship with one another, with other people. And that's where verse 16 begins then to take us in that direction. It says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, um, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Basically, Paul is saying that our conversion changes the way we look at, view, and interact with other people, even how we see Jesus, right? From now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. That means that we are no longer going to evaluate people and judge people based on those external, visible, human, you know, worldly standards. And really, we understand that's, that's the norm of how people react apart from Christ, isn't it? I mean, people judge each other based on how good-looking they are, how tall, how thin, how well-dressed, how old, how young. They judge them based on tattoos or body piercings or hairstyles. They judge them based on skin color or cultural background or heritage or even what accent they might have. They make judgments based on wealth or perceived poverty or job titles or all these other external things. I mean, that's the norm in the world. And Paul says, hey, as believers, we don't do that anymore. We're not going to make our judgments based on the flesh, based on those external visible things. And instead, we need to see people the way God sees them. Which, you know, admittedly is hard because obviously we don't have the same capabilities as God, right? 
when the prophet Samuel was sent to a certain man's household in Israel because God says, uh, I want you to anoint one of his sons. He's going to be the, the new king of Israel. Well, God ended up having to admonish Samuel because he went there and he picked out the tallest, best-looking uh, boy that was there and assumed, oh, this must be God's man. And we read, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And, and, and you know, we understand, we, we can't see the heart as God does, but we certainly can choose not to judge on those external things. And we can choose to try to get to know the heart of each person. We can choose to begin looking at people the way Jesus looked at people, right? Not as unruly, ungodly, sinful antagonists against the faith, but rather seeing the people he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. See, these are things we can choose and learn to do. Even though, yeah, we can't see the heart like God is, we can choose to look to the heart rather than the externals. Before his conversion, Paul, of course, made those external, superficial judgments about Jesus Christ, right? I mean, he thought Jesus was a mere man making uh, some outlandish claims. Paul judged him to be an imposter, a false messiah, a heretic, espousing some dangerous ideas against the Jewish teachings. And he was a rebel who was worthy of death in his mind, and anybody who followed him would be worthy of the same thing. And Paul treated people based on that superficial judgment. But after his conversion, Paul knew him in this way no longer, it says, right? Now Paul knew who Jesus really was, who Jesus really is. He's the Son of God who came down in human flesh but was no mere human. He came to fulfill all the promises of God to be the Savior who provides forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And He is the Lord of heaven and earth and has been highly exalted by God so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow all those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's how he knows Jesus Christ right now. And if we have come to Christ for forgiveness of sin, if we have come to him for uh, salvation, then that's how we know Jesus Christ as well, even though you may have had a very different view of Jesus prior to that conversion, right? So in the last couple of verses, what we finished with last week and what we starting with this week, we've, we have a new way of living, right? Living for Jesus rather than living for self. And a new way of seeing people, not based on externals, but by the heart. And so now maybe the question comes up, well, how can we possibly live up to these verses, right? I mean, I I really want to live for Jesus, but sometimes my selfishness breaks through, right? Or there are times 
when bad habits, maybe one that I thought I had a handle on, just seemed to pop right out again, or some sinful pattern or way of dealing with things uh, uh, reemerges, even though maybe I thought I was done with that. And, and, and beyond that, I, I really want to see people. I want to view people differently. I want to see them as God sees them. But you know what? Sometimes my... My, my stinking thinking comes through. A, a, a little prejudice, a little judgmental thinking comes in. So how, how can I possibly live up to these verses? Well, if, if you've ever felt that way, then, then verse 17 is for you, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. See, here, here's the thing. Something incredibly profound takes place when a person comes by faith to Jesus Christ. And, and, and what it is, 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 is God doesn't just clean you up. He makes you a brand new creation. Some people, I think they look at Christianity kind of the way other people might look at a fixer-up house, Right? You know, you got this run-down, uh, broken old thing, and but hey, we can make it better. You know, we go in and, and you, you, you gut out the electrical and the plumbing and redo that, and, and you uh, paint the walls and deep cleaning all the floors and carpets or maybe even replacing the carpets and slap some new siding on the outside. And boy, all of a sudden, woo, we got a pretty nice house to live in here. And you can tell that some people kind of look at Christianity that same way because they'll say things like, you know, I've I got to get my life cleaned up or, you know, God's helping me get my life together, my act together, or, you know, things like that. And I, I get what they're saying. I mean, I, I don't want to discount the fact that God does make a huge difference in, in, in the way our life operates, the way we live, right? It should be a positive a difference. But we need to understand, Jesus, God did not send Jesus Christ to, to simply make messy lives clean, right? Or to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Ephesians 2.1 describes every single one of us apart uh, from Jesus Christ when it says, For you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You weren't sick. You weren't broken down. You were dead. And the only remedy for death is life. And the only source of life is Jesus Christ. And that's why Ephesians 2 goes on to say, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, in our transgressions, it's made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. See, he doesn't take your old life and fix it up. He gives new life where there was no life. And that's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 describes it as God making you a new creature or new creation, depending on which translation you have. Whoever or whatever you were before, when you came to Christ, you are no longer that person. 
this verse says, the old things pass away, behold, new things have come. And notice those phrases are in the past tense. Meaning this is not something that might happen to you in the future if you work hard enough or try hard enough, right? This is something that is true of you. It is a reality right now. The old has passed away, the new has come. And maybe you say, well, man, that, that sounds really awesome, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that to me. It doesn't seem like that uh, the old has passed away and the new has come. I, I still get hung up with some of the, the same old sins I've struggled with before, and, and sometimes I, I struggle with doing the things I know I, I should be doing. So is it, the question might come up, well, is that really true? Is it real? A- am I truly a new creation and the answer is again if you've come to jesus christ absolutely yes but we do need to understand the way that works and in what way that is true how that works and that's where verse 21 really comes in to help us it says he that's god made him jesus christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of god in him so if you've ever wondered how this Christianity thing works and exactly what happened on the cross and at your conversion, this verse explains it all in a nutshell. And as does everything else in the Bible, it starts with God. God took action. And this particular action was taken through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to earth as a man born of a virgin. And even though we really have absolutely no uh, idea on which day of the year Jesus Christ was born, and, and based on the clues we can gather from the Bible, it probably wasn't anywhere near December 25th. Uh, that just happens to be the day that we choose to celebrate that wondrous action of God. He sent Jesus Christ for us. And as a man, he lived a perfect life. No sin whatsoever. Never disobeyed his parents as a child. Never told a lie. In fact, didn't break any of the Ten Commandments. Didn't break any of the Old Testament laws. Didn't listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving. He was perfect. Okay, seriously. Seriously. He knew no sin. That was Jesus Christ. But God caused him to be sin. I mean, that's what happened on the cross, or at least part of what happened on the cross, right? God took Jesus, perfectly righteous in everything, and placed on him the sins of the whole world. I mean, that's exactly what Isaiah the prophet said would happen when he said, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord caused the iniquity, all our sin, every transgression, every wrong, the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So back to verse 21. It says that God did this on our behalf. He did it for us. You are accountable for all your 
sins. Therefore, you should pay the penalty for each and every one of them. And the penalty is death. It doesn't matter if it's a big sin or what you might consider a little sin. The point is you have broken God's law and the penalty is the same. But God took all our iniquity, took all our sin, took that penalty and placed it on Jesus Christ on your behalf. So, of course, the, the big question is, why, why would God do that? And the answer, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Let me ask you a question. How righteous is God? How holy is He? How good, how perfect is God? And, and you know, we can give the answer in words, but the truth is we can't really answer that question. I just finished uh, reading a book last night called Spaceman. It's uh, the autobiography of uh, Mike Massimino, one of the astronauts of uh, NASA. And he spoke about his first journey into space on the Columbia Space Shuttle and his first spacewalk uh, as he was out doing repairs on the Hubble uh, telescope. And he wrote this about sunlight. Okay? Uh, quote, In space, sunlight is nothing like sunlight as you know it. It's pure whiteness. It's perfect white light. It's the whitest white you've ever seen. And then he goes on with more superlatives trying to describe this sunlight, what it is like out in space. And finally, he kind of gives up and says, you know what? If you've never been there, <laughs> you can't get it. You can't really describe it because all we know is sunlight that's been filtered through our atmosphere. It's tainted and distorted by the time it gets down to us. So we can't really imagine what it's like because our point of reference is completely different. It's not the same. All we know is what we've seen. In the same way, we can't fully comprehend the purity of God's righteousness. We can say the words, right? It's perfectly pure. But our perception is tainted and distorted. It's filtered through our imperfect eyes, our sinful experience. So we, we have to suffice it to say when it comes to God, the righteousness of God is far better than anything we could even begin to comprehend or define. And this verse says that Jesus did what he did on the cross, that God sent him to do this so that we might become that righteousness. And maybe, maybe right now you're saying, well, uh, hold on there. I, I've put my faith in Jesus Christ. I've trusted Him for forgiveness of sins and salvation. But I can guarantee you that I'm not that righteous. Not anywhere close to that. And this is where the last two words of the verse become very important. Verse 21 
says that this righteousness happens in him. Him being Jesus Christ. See, by faith, you are now identified with Jesus Christ. That, that, that's what it means to be in him. Uh, what is true of him becomes true of you. Therefore, we get to experience what theologians call the great exchange. Your sin for his righteousness. And it all happens the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And this is the way it works. The first part about identifying with Jesus Christ is is that the old you, the the sinful self, is nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ so so that you are crucified with Christ. The penalty for your sins is paid in Him. And then the second part uh, is that you are given a new identity. The old self of you is crucified. You get a new self, a new identity. And the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the one who knew no sin, is applied to your life so that now when God looks at you, he sees that perfect righteousness. You are righteous not because you have perfect behavior or never say the wrong thing. You are righteous in him. Because the righteousness of Christ has been given to you. Your whole identity has been changed. You are a brand new creation. You went from being a son of Adam to a son of God. From a person destined for wrath to one destined for glory in heaven. From condemned to saved. From lost to found. From stumbling around in the darkness to walking in the light. That's who you are. That's your identity in Jesus Christ. And, and, and yes, I, I get it. I understand that our behavior here on earth doesn't always match up with our identity. You know, because we're still living in the weakness of our flesh. We're still living with an enemy who is warring against us, Satan who's actively out there uh, trying to trip us up and, and, and tempt us. There are times when we will fail to live according to who we truly are. We might act or react out of a habit pattern that was developed from your old identity, but guess what? That does not change the truth of who you are. And the reality is we will constantly be working here on earth to cause our behavior to come in line with our identity, who we are in Jesus. That's what the Bible calls sanctification, that that process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. But throughout that uh, process, your identity is the same. You are a new creation. And that new identity is empowered to choose to do what is right and good and pleasing to God. So you want to know how it is that we have any possibility of living up to those standards that God had just said, living for Jesus Christ, seeing people in a different way? It's because you are a new creation. You're not the same person you used to be. And because of this new, you can live new. And there's two awesome results of this from from this passage. One is that we're reconciled with God. Look at verses 18 and 19. Now all these things 
are from God, all right? All these great things that we just talked about, the, the forgiveness of sins, uh, 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 the penalty uh, being paid, salvation, uh, gaining righteousness, the righteousness of God, your new identity, identified with Jesus Christ. All these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Being reconciled with God is a great thing because that means that there is no longer any barrier, any any divide, any hostility, any friction between you and God. God is not mad at you. You are reconciled with Him. You're in a right relationship with Him because of Jesus Christ. Not because you earned it, not because you worked for it, not because you were good enough this week. Because if I was to hazard a guess, probably a lot of us in here weren't good enough this week. It's because of Jesus Christ. We're reconciled to God. And the second awesome result, which we could see in those verses, but maybe comes out most clearly in verse 19, is that we get to tell others that they too can be reconciled with God. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We live in a messy world. But that mess doesn't have to define us. We can rise above it because of Jesus Christ. And guess what? Someone else caught in the mess. Someone you know, someone you love, someone you care about. They don't have to stay there. They're not doomed by the plague of sin. Death does not have to be their lot. They have a choice. And we are ambassadors speaking on behalf of God, telling them that there is another, a better way. Through us, God is making an appeal to them. He says he's begging them to be reconciled. Do you ever think about that? God begging? begging them to be done with that life of sin which leads only to pain and to death and to come be reconciled to God. And we get to be a part of that. Father God, we're so thankful that you have made us a new creation because if it was up to us to work hard enough, to be good enough, we would all be doomed. But God, we can live the life that you have set before us because of Jesus Christ, because you've made us a new creation. And now we have a basis from which to choose, to follow you, to obey you, to live in a manner that is worthy and pleasing to you. Not because of our abilities, but because of Jesus. So God, strengthen us by the strength of Christ to live as your ambassadors in hot springs.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.